Welcome to Out of the Lab, a podcast interviewing entrepreneurs who've taken research out of the lab and built it into a company that's serving the world. These entrepreneurs are heroes, and the planet needs more of them. So tune in, learn from their successes and failures, and get inspired. Visit Bountiful.org to join our community and realize your power to save the world. Hello and welcome to Out of the Lab. I'm your host, Max Finder. Today's guest is Aisha Asatikin, an associate professor at the Chemical and Biological Engineering Department at Tufts University. She's originally from Turkey. She came to the United States to do her PhD in chemical engineering through the program in polymer science and technology at MIT. Her first company that she co-founded, which was based on her PhD research was called Clean Membranes in 2008. It's a nitrile based membrane technology. And she was the principal scientist there before she joined the Tufts faculty in 2012. And out of her lab, another exciting technology, a novel membrane technology uh, emerged that was commercialized into a very exciting company today called Zwitterco, which has recently raised a bunch of money and she serves as the scientific advisor there. The conversation is really awesome and very inspiring for young graduate students, PhDs, and, and scientists that want to engage in entrepreneurship, but also potentially have their foothold continue to be in academia. I personally learned a, a ton of lessons around intellectual property, the importance of the team, and a million other things that Aisha has experienced, learned from, and corrected in, in, in the next uh, iteration of her professional career. Um, she's an exciting uh, academic scientist with a really strong bent for entrepreneurship. And uh, it's exciting to kind of follow her work. And, and, and we were very lucky to have her as a guest. So enjoy the episode. Visit bountiful.work, that's W-O-R-K, to join our community and realize your power to save the world. Thank you. Aisha, thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me. So you are a self-described accidental entrepreneur. Right now you're a professor uh, at Tufts, correct? Yes. But you're, you're a self-described entrepreneur. Maybe you could tell me why you kind of have termed yourself that and tell us about uh, your entrepreneurial journey. So the entrepreneurial journey goes back to uh, when I was doing my PhD at MIT um, one thing that is not accidental is I am a deep believer in working on science and engineering that is built to be scaled up, like built to be, uh, my, my aspiration is that the technical challenge doesn't come from what I do. I try to think about, uh, scalable technologies, uh, in my research. The accidental entrepreneur part goes back to my, to the end of my PhD when, um, I got pulled into co-founding a company called, called Clean Membranes, where it was a friend of my lab mate who had done a, uh, done a, a rotation in a venture capital company, and he was looking for a technology to build a company around. And he was asking all of his friends, is there something you're aware of? And that is how I ended up as a co-founder of a company. 
um, because it is so hard to say no when somebody wants to take your research and make it real product out of it. So I now, was when, sort of so can, this. I, I yeah, love yeah. that. Yeah. So the 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 you were approached by a friend of a friend who was an entrepreneur who was looking exactly. to looking for something an exciting technology to commercialize, and he met you and landed on uh, on your PhD thesis and thought that there was potential to commercialize this thing. That is exactly right. So, I mean, entrepreneurship was not really in, on my career path in my head at all. My aspiration was at the time still to become an academic, to become a professor so I could be a good mentor, good teacher, do cool research. So that was my career plan at the time. And, and with that intent, even from the beginning, my, in the beginning, my, my plan was to just be a scientific advisor and have them do all the work. It didn't work out that way because um, it took a really, really long time for this company to really get off the ground. And um, two years later, two whole years later, um, the initial entrepreneur who wanted to start it out had moved on. We had another CEO taking the charge. My, the, our joint friend had a stable job that he wanted to keep. So I ended up joining the company and setting up the R&D and working with uh, a team of engineers, um, uh, you know, uh, talking with a lot of potential customers, all of that. So I was there about a um, year and a half, two years, somewhere around that as, as a full-time uh, employee, but my intent was all still focused on academia. I really did not enjoy the business side. I really enjoyed the science side. And, um, you know, my, my interest was less at just scaling up and more at, you know, looking at the fundamentals of how things work so we can go the next step. So my home was in academia, but, but, uh, but along the way, so I, I got my job at Tufts in 2012 after that experience. For me, it was an excellent learning experience. Uh, I think it enabled me to continue working on um, technologies that can be commercialized in the future because I had a much deeper insight than I would have had otherwise about what, what the water treatment world needs, like what our technology needs out in the industry. And that, that enabled, me, enabled me to focus my research in those gaps. And oh. also it gave me a better understanding of a lot of other issues such as intellectual property. And, and so I have a bunch of questions, even just about this experience. So this is the clean membranes experience, right? Yes. So and when you were doing your PhD research on this, on this uh -huh. core technology, I guess, had you already had the mindset that scalability and translational research was a mm -hmm. priority, was the way you wanted to go? And that was like a, a, a solid contribution to making this technology uh, appealing to the entrepreneur that approached you? Or were you still just kind of doing research as a PhD, just research for the sake of research? No, I, for me, it was really important that whatever I work on, well, not whatever I work on, but my general project should be, a, should be focused on something that can be scaled up. So that was definitely part of the plan, even as a PhD student. 
Um, and where did you so get the that? The idea from? was to use. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, where did you get that that mentality from? Because I, I want. It's not necessarily every researcher that that approaches science with that, right? I think it was just a personal priority from the beginning. You know, I'm a double major in chemistry and chemical engineering, so um, I think the perspective this gave me was that as an engineer, I can make an impact on the world beyond just the knowledge generated. And I really wanted to work on something that will make an impact on the world. And in, in my case, it is uh, on sustainability, on energy efficiency, on preventing pollution, remedi remediation, all of these fields. This has, this has been something I have um, had interest in for a really, really long time, way before going to college or anything like that. Um, and so having the potential of making a difference in that field really drove my interests also. Um, and and yeah. so after the entrepreneur approached, what, what were those year and a half, two years like before he departed? Like, what were you doing? You were finishing your PhD research or had the company already been formed? Maybe you could talk a little bit about that year and a half, two years. I'm, I'm very <laughs> interested even in the minutia of, you know, how you and him struck the deal together and involved the technology transfer organization and all of that kind of good stuff. Oh, that is not, uh, that is not something to take an example out of. We'll talk about Zwitterko, which is a lot better uh, in terms of that, because I really knew nothing about this. This was never on my radar. And when, um, um, when all of this started, I was at the tail end of my PhD writing my thesis um, and when we reached out to the tech transfer office, it turned out we really, because of um, patent filing deadlines, we had to make a decision within three weeks. So I even didn't have time to really talk to anyone and get good advice. So it was, that is the very accidental part, right? It was a situation where I really wanted it to happen. So I couldn't say no. And then I just sort of, it sort of happened. There were a lot of decisions I could have made better and that's okay because um, what I took out of it was really learning so much that informs my, um, my thinking, my approach to mentorship, all of that today. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was also end of 2008. So the, I think the official founding date of Clean Membranes is and a few weeks after Lehman Brothers crashed. So there is that. So in between, um, you know, the entrepreneur uh, would like, go do pitches in venture capital companies and I would show up and as the technical person. Uh, but really I was working on my postdoc. <laughs> I, I uh, took a postdoc with Karen Gleason, also at MIT working on chemical vapor deposition. So I was doing my research and finishing up, you know, my thesis and then doing research. Uh, and every so often going to do a pitch every uh, or, or stuff like that. Um, and this new CEO took over somewhere along that path. Uh, he was a senior person in the membrane field with lots of experience, a huge network, and he is the one who got it off the ground with um, and, and got funding through a venture capital company. So and, and did it was definitely an unusual path. Yeah, I mean, was, was the entrepreneur frustrated with the with the pace of things? Were, were you meeting a lot of uh, roadblocks that that needed? that necessitated bringing in somebody more senior in order to kind of make things happen? 
I mean, I think the short version is he needed a job that paid because right. we were just like not getting any traction anywhere. And, you know, at some point he had recruited the, um, uh, the senior person before that to be, you know, um, um, more trustworthy and well-established CEO. But then he sort of transferred all of the fundraising over to him. And I think it worked out great because we ended up with a stronger business plan at, at that point in time. I mean, that was part of the issue too, right? We were all like newbies. Right. <laughs> and so, and so what ultimately kind of transpired with, so you became, you know, you wanted to be a science advisor, but they needed more and more of your uh, time and expertise. What, what happened with that? How did it progress? I was the inventor of the technology and the um, venture firm insisted the inventor joined the company, at least in the beginning, getting it off the ground, which makes a lot of sense. I was the one who knew all the ins and outs written in written ways and unwritten ways. Like as the, you know, as we worked on it, there would be situations where um, when I saw the data, I would be like, oh, that makes sense. I hadn't thought about this, but like this step, which I thought to be like, not that important, it turns out it is critical. Does that make sense? So it was, so that was the intent, but at the, at the point I was ready to leave, it was not a problem to transfer the work over to somebody else because, you know, I felt like I did a lot of the really early stage work and a lot of the continuing work was on applications engineering and optimization and larger scale pilot scale engineering, which is not my background. Right, you're so a lab scale, not. your lab scale, bench scale, discovery type of uh, scientist with, with this thing. Yes, by, by, by training and by interest. So we had experienced engineers at that point in time running a pilot scale rig and everything. Right, so it, it was boring to you and academia was calling again. And did you ever give up your position or, or it was kind of between your postdoc and any kind of um, posting that you had? I remained as a scientific advisor. And of course, the number of times they asked my advice kept decreasing, which is the way it should go, right? Right. And then, and honestly, an academic job is a proper full-time job. It should be. So, yeah. And so then your, your, and your, your comfort was in the lab. And so you, you, you end up in the lab and then along the way comes the technology for Zwitter. Is that correct as far as the timeline goes, or was there anything in between worth mentioning? Um, sort of right. So when I started my lab at uh, Tufts, one of my one of the things that were important to me was to start out with something quite different from the clean membranes technology to avoid all conflicts of interest, which is something you know any academic getting into entrepreneurship has to uh, spend a lot of mental energy on. Right. And so I had this other idea that, of course, built on what I learned from the first experience. Right. I, I learned about what, you know, for wastewater treatment, what are some parameters that matter more than I thought? And what some things that I thought were very important, it turned out to be not so much. This is, I think, pretty common with academics discovering the um, the pros and cons of the technology they think once they once it is in the field, you find a whole bunch of new things out. So there were there was a lot of learning from the first experience that fed into 
uh, this next project. And um, it was, um, so what we worked on was a technology using what are called Zwitter ions, hence the name Zwitter Co. Um, and we still focused on the idea of using uh, these materials to make fouling resistant membranes. So the main idea here is to make filters, membrane filters that can treat very, very dirty wastewater streams that will normally basically clog other membranes very quickly. So we chemically incorporate these groups that will prevent fouling so that you can filter water that would have otherwise killed your membrane in a day or two. So that was the main idea. So I use my material science, chemistry, chemical background to really design these polymers. And a graduate student, that was the PhD project of my first graduate student um, who pursued this idea. And um, one thing we did along the way was we got a small grant from the Massachusetts Clean Energy Council to do some of the work that would be important for scalability, but not that interesting from a fundamental science point of view. So we really did like chemical resistance testing, long-term stability testing, uh, things like that, which can be deal breakers in long-term large-scale operation, but do not offer the type of fundamental insight the National Science Foundation would be that interested in funding. And, and so, so that's that's a really interesting point, if mm -hmm. I may interrupt. I mean, yeah, you yeah. were that that's you know, you're actively preparing for the prospect of commercializing commercializing this technology and less so focused on the the fundamental science uh, investigative component of it. And so I mean that's something that you learn from the first go go mm -hmm. around is is extremely critical correct i mean can you emphasize that a little bit more to some of the listeners and and, and yeah. you know in terms of prioritizing that type of work absolutely so one thing um so the role of academics in science and entrepreneurship is very ill-defined i think right some some academics are absolutely focused on fundamental science and we need that and um as engineering researcher, as engineering researchers, uh, you can exist multiple places along that path. And if you look at my lab, I have some projects that are extremely fundamental, like how does permeation happen in this class of polymers? And some of them, um, like this particular project was intended to be scalable, intended to be uh, useful in applications. And after the other side is that after the initial set of data, there was that point of this really looks good and it is designed to be manufacturable at the large scale. But if I wanted this to become a product, what would investors or users ask me? And those questions I had learned through the experience uh, at the first startup. Does that make sense? And yeah, then, yeah. I mean, it's great. No, go go ahead. I mean, I I just, I'm curious to know, like, even how universal this type of methodology is, and if it can be, um, you know, formalized to apply to a bunch of different industries and prioritize so that you know young grad students and and, and academics who want to do something entrepreneurial and something scalable and commercializable can kind of go through a checklist and a and a. I mean, maybe even there could 
some grants could be established yeah. to fund these things? I mean, in your experience, have you found um, funding bodies like that? Is it a, is there a lack of it? I mean, it seems like a critical stage. It seems like a critical step at the very early stage of science, but that's applicable to the long-term scalability mm -hmm. of any new invention. I think there is definitely a push for it. So I think NSF ICOR program is well known by now, and the intent there is for the um, for the um, principal investigator, like the professor or whoever is the research um, lead, together with maybe a graduate student or a postdoc who would ideally become um, the technical lead in a startup and pair up with somebody with entrepreneurial experience and do this, um, uh, basically uh, go through this training organized by the NSF, contact all of these potential customers, really center in on their value proposition, et cetera. I have not done this program up to now because um, how Zwitterco evolved actually was through the Tufts University's um, Gordon Institute, which is this, um, it is, we are very fortunate to be at Tufts because we have essentially a business school inside a school of engineering whose focus is engineering management and entrepreneurship. So in our case, what happened is that um, there were some students in the in the entrepreneurship master's program, master of science and innovation management. It is an excellent program. And one of the things that the university organizes is for the tech transfer office to go and present some potential intellectual property that may become, if you like, uh, the center of your, um, basically your term project where you build a business plan around an idea. And so in that case, what happened is that a student who, um, why was the freshman advisor off when he first started four years before that? Uh, he saw this technology and came to me and asked about it. And I ended up, you know, helping mentor her, their team through building this business plan. But they did all of the work contacting, contacting um, you know, VPs of large environmental remediation companies and um, you know, interviewing all these people in biotech and water treatment and, you know, food and dairy, all of these people, like they did a lot of this reaching out work um, and centered on a narrower area to focus this technology on and looking at the business plan and all of that. So the close coupling of this uh, business school and this entrepreneurship program with the engineering faculty was a really important facilitator. Um, I think increasingly both universities and other organizations are finding value in this and trying to support this. So since then, the, our tech transfer office has started um, grants for um, faculty who have these research projects that are on the path to commercialization and for them to maybe acquire the data that would fill in the gap, um, that would answer these questions. And um, they have faculty at various stages of this, of this process, right? There are some who have almost ready to go investors and they have some who are just sort of looking into the potential 
avenues and um, they are all really, really important. So Massachusetts Clean Energy Council has these catalyst awards and that is what we use. Um, and at that point, our intent was, okay, we think this is uh, technology with lots of promise, but these are the kinds of data that if anybody was to license it, these are the questions they would ask. So that would be a very early stage one. We are almost funded and we need to answer this one question or this run this larger study. I don't know, this is not so, um, or longer term study, that would be another stage. And there are also some resources that will help researchers go and contact um, different people and really um, get the information. As I was saying, like I, one thing that was really useful for me was to um, learn about what is the technical gap that we can try to fill and get both answers in that field and also for the, um, for the side where you find where the money is, right? If you were to manufacture it, would you be able to get enough revenue to push you through? Um, so all of these questions, you have to talk to people. So there are other programs that will help you do that. So these are really building up. When I first started, I don't think there was much of that at all. And increasingly, I think both the federal entities and universities are in, increase, uh, appreciating the importance of entrepreneurship and what it can, what it can do. So that is a good thing. And, and I and I love. I just to go back a little bit. I love also that in your lab you focus on both scalable technology and mm -hmm. more exploratory technology. And also another thing I want to call out that you mentioned is just the importance of engaging with industry and um, trying to understand what their mm -hmm. problems are and helping that that using that to inform uh, how you you know develop a plan and, and a business plan. Maybe you could speak to that a little bit more. I mean, do you personally engage with industry, whether it's sponsored research or just in, in general maintaining a dialogue? Or is that something that you're you're hoping that the 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 different programs that you have access to will will help as entrepreneurs and, and other young grad students try to scale up technologies that emerge from your lab? Mm -hmm. So um, some and some, if that makes sense. So one aspect is, do I keep in touch with the industry? And the answer is as much as I can. And that is through my, you know, building a network of um, uh, colleagues in both in industry and in different fields and also, um, also potential collaborators. So that is important. And, you know, the conferences are a really good tool for this, as well as, you know, attending other um, places where all these people get together. So one, uh, one recent connection happened. I, we actually went to the North American Membrane Society meeting at the end of summer. It was really, really nice. Everything that could be outside was outside. It was really nice and safely done too, which was really important. But um, that is a conference where there is a decent attendance from uh, people in the industry as well as academics. So um, the North American Membrane Society is a really, really good place for building these connections, learning more about what is needed. Um, another really valuable thing is that now that we have Zwitter Co, uh, where, I mean, I need to state my conflict of interest being I own a small equity in this company and 
Uh, I am their senior scientific advisor. So I am not really spending any time at the company itself. Um, but regularly talking with them really enables me and my students to learn about what is going on out there and what are the um, gaps that need to be filled by technical solutions, what are some important things that uh, your membranes need to do to be adopted in a particular field, etc. So it is a resource not just for me to have this connection with a startup that is um, sort of that is working on technologies linked with what we are working on, but it is also an important network connection for our students uh, who can learn all of these, all of this in insider information, right? Uh, from the Zwitterco team that is constantly talking with other people and have hands-on experience with scale up. That way we can turn our efforts to something useful. Yeah, and 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 Zwitter, like what what could you maybe talk about? Even is there some type of arrangement, a formal even arrangement that Zwitter has with your lab? I mean, are are do do you continue to do research to enhance what has already been developed and what they're trying to commercialize, or are you kind of focused elsewhere? Um. So basically when Zwitterco started, we were already working on like the generation two, generation three versions of that initial technology, right? Uh, so what happened is, as I said, all of this um, got started uh, with a master's project at the entrepreneurship program. And what was amazing is that um, this was, uh, they also recruited an, awesome C CTO who had um, spent a long time at Oasis Water, I think one of whose co-founders you talked with before. Um, and um, so he was there from pretty early on and had experience both with interacting with water, wastewater treatment um, operations and with uh, scale up of the overall process and with membrane manufacture all of those different steps that are needed. And um, it was really exciting to have this team form. Oh, and at the same time, so Chris Drower, he's the CTO. Uh, he was doing a master's, part-time master's degree in our department. And um, Alex Rappaport, who was the CEO, he was, doing a, he was doing a master's in the entrepreneurship program at the Gordon Institute. So it was, really exciting to basically bring them together and see how um, um i am not answering your question I realize. Uh, that's okay that i mean it, no this is great i mean i, I i'm very i was, the next question was going to be can you describe a little bit about the the formation of so of that Zwitter? is the formation yeah, yeah so exactly essentially uh alex rapaport convinced his team to look into this technology and really got to the bottom of what is the direction that would make most sense. And in the meantime, uh, Chris Drover, who uh, was at Oasis, uh, essentially got really interested. And they got together and recruited additional uh, founders and got things going. And they, um, they got first prize in the business plan competition at Tufts in their track. They had different tracks. Um, 
But one thing that was really, really important was one of the jury members at this competition decided to become one of the first investors. So it was really a case where um, the Tufts University was, was the catalyst in pulling all of these people together and getting, getting th things off the ground. Um, and then they got space at Greentown Labs, which is a, you know, a, a clean tech incubator in the Boston area. Um, and that was also really important. Um, so that is how they got started. <laughs> it's an amazing I'm story. I remember what question I was answering before. Yeah, the, the, qu the question was if, if Zwitter has a, a, some type of formal relationship yes, with, okay. your with your research lab so that anything related, I guess, to the technology uh, gets directly kind of vacuumed into their organization. So that particular relationship is mostly with our tech transfer office. But after they got started, we applied for an NSF um, STTR grant, which is a um, funding mechanism for, for the National Science Foundation NSF to, um, for um, small businesses to work with academics on a project for research and development. So STTR stands for uh, Small Business Technology Transfer Research. It is very closely related with the SBIR, Small Business Innovation Research Grants. Um, it's basically the same thing. The only difference is the amount, fraction of work the academics can do is higher for STTR than SBIR. That is the main difference. Uh, so we ended up working on a joint project through um, that funding mechanism where the federal government uh, divides the money between the small business and the academics to work together on a joint problem. Um, and um, they also received a quite large grant from the Department of Energy where uh, we are the academic partner helping them out with both things like materials characterization uh, for which we have the resources and also you know, tweaking our technology uh, development towards the particular challenge they are looking at, which is treating pro produce water from oil extraction and oil gas extraction. Um, so we, our official relationship is through some of these joint grants. Um, and honestly, they have a pretty close relationship with our technology transfer office that enables them to potentially license relevant technologies more easily. And, and looking at it, uh, for me, I think about if somebody licensed technology from my lab, what, do, what, what would they do with it? And I think about how Zwitterco right now has the, um, the, um, the, the skills, that the skill set to take technologies from my lab to large scale manufacturing as fast as possible because they have already experienced with similar materials. They also have a lot of motivation to come up with new, um, new products. Uh, whereas if a large company licensed technology from my lab, at this point, I am sort of cynical that they might just like sit on it so other people don't manufacture it and become their competitor. This is sort of a sad point of view, but... Um, it's a yeah, major... Enough people, it is something to think about. It's a major problem. 
I mean, they're, yes. they're, I don't, I, I, I looked at these statistics a couple of years ago, but it, it's a major problem. A lot, I've seen a lot of data on the, in the pharma space, but I sh- I'm sure it's uh-huh. the same in, 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 you know, uh, uh, industrial technology and, and materials and, and, and different things like that. I mean, so that, that was going to be another question that I had. I mean, you, you know, I guess Alex Rappaport made an mm-hmm. impression on you and you, 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 you kind of developed a rapport. Um, I mean, was, was it in your hands to say yes or no to them being able to license this and, and create a startup from it? Was the final decision somewhat with you or was it already turned over to the, to the tech transfer office and they, you know, it was up to them to, to decide. It sounds like you held a lot of sway in this and you would want a hungry entrepreneur to take it and lead as opposed to letting it sit on the shelf at a, you know, go from the shelf at Tufts to the shelf at uh, some corporation. Mm -hmm. So in this case, it isn't like there was a competitor or anything, but there are situations where you may have to make those decisions. And in my case, I don't have any official sway over it, but of course the tech transfer office will ask what I think. Does that make sense? It is um, entirely up to them to negotiate and make a decision, Uh, but they will usually talk with the inventor to basically understand the details of the technical parts and evaluate what is. So uh, it is important to say when they were negotiating the licensing agreement, I stayed completely out of it because it would be a conflict of interest. I think Uh, at least that's what I heard. But I mean, Uh, I have no interest in trying to negotiate all of that either. So it's a win-win situation. Got it. Cool. But they don't, they ask you what you think, but you don't have decision-making power. Interesting. And I think that is fine. That's fine with you as an academic, as an entrepreneurial academic, as opposed to an academic entrepreneur, um, you're fine with them sort of leading the commercialization of your inventions, as -hmm. long as your voice is heard and taken into account. Yeah, and I think honestly, with intellectual property, it is their expertise. I think one of the most important things to remember in life is to respect other people's expertise and be aware of what you know and what you don't know. And I know for a fact that I may know more than the average academic, but they are really the experts and they are the decision makers. And honestly, the agreement for the intellectual property is not with me at all. All the intellectual property I develop is owned by Tufts. Uh, they actually have a revenue sharing uh, or other royalty sharing um, program that is uh, quite generous, in my opinion. It is, I think, more generous than MIT. Um, but um, globally, it is because Tufts is nice and wants to encourage commercialization that they do the royalty sharing. Like it is an entire an agreement entirely between Tufts University and Zwitterco and not with me. Great. And do you, I mean, and, and but it, as a scientific advisor to Twitter and it, you're continuing to lend some time and, and brain power to it, or I'm yeah. just, you don't have to answer this, but I'm just curious, like you have some type of percentage in the startup that gets spun out. Is that mm-hmm. a portion of your university? Al, uh, uh, is that a portion of the percentage that's allocated to the university and then the university allocate some of their percentage to you or do you have your own percentage in the startup and are you further compensated 
given that you're a present day scientific advisor? I realize that was a um, This may differ between universities. And as far as I know, because I might be wrong, I'm a bit nervous saying all of this because legally I don't know exactly. Uh, but my percentage at the company is through a contract I made with them. And I had to, in relationship with this, uh, inform Tufts of my financial conflict of interest with this company, had this uh, conflict of interest management plan pulled together, which includes, among other things, disclosing it whenever you share anything related with the company or anything related with technology that may impact the company. And also um, contacting the dean to inform them of my conflict of commitment, which is not really a conflict, but informing them saying, I will um, stay within my allowed time period of external activities, which is about a day per week. Right. That's so there are a bunch standard. of formalities yeah. you need to sort through. Um, when Tufts negotiates um, royalty in the form of like annual cash payments, they thoughtfully uh, share it with uh, the co-inventors, share a portion of it with the co-inventors, as well as a portion of it with that co-inventors department uh, that supported the work. Um, but this is not required of them. If they have, if Tufts has equity and it does, um, then that is just Tufts that doesn't impact the inventors. Does that make sense? So yes. if there are cash royalties, they divide it up. Uh, but for percentages, that is owned by Tufts. Right. And then you have some type of other separate agreement with the company yes. to maintain your advisory role and continue to mm -hmm. be involved with them. Exactly. Very so cool. yeah, it's it, all of those relationships. I mean, that was probably one of the most frustrating things to try to organize because um, I mean, it is just hard to get a straight answer from lawyers in my experience. And I was like, just tell me what to do and I will do it. I just want to sort this out and keep doing my research. Right. As well as make sure this product comes to the market so we can make an impact on the world. Like that is what I want to do. Right. Um, a percentage here, the, the caveat and claw, you know, whatever clause there, you don't care about. Get my technology out of the lab, doing yeah. good work. And again, I, I, it is yeah, it is great. probably not the most most wise financial decision. But for me, I really want to do the work without like stressing about somebody doubts my data because I would never do anything like that. You know, um, I even considered not having any equity in it just to avoid all of this. But um, first of all, it would be really stupid. And second of all, I think uh, one thing that the investors asked about was like, is this person really committed to this product if they are not taking any equity? So it was a case of for the better outcome, this makes sense, but it leads to a lot of um, grief and relying on other people to make decisions uh, for you and trying to deal with all of that. It is what it is, and I think it is necessary because the, even though I feel the way I feel, I know you cannot assume it is indeed 
a conflict of interest that needs to be managed, right? You don't want people using their own lab to benefit the company, using federal money to exclusively benefit the company. All of these things you need to manage. Um, yeah, there are, my, there are a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of moving parts. And I understand it is hard to manage all of these things. I still don't know what the absolute perfect way is. Um, that is why I want to follow whichever rules there are for me to follow so that nobody ever doubts my integrity. But it sometimes becomes really, really difficult. Yeah, um, I think that there's a lot of gray area and every, in, every institution does things a little bit differently and it can become yeah. very confusing. Um, and some of these things need are, are due for uh, an upgrade and a, a revamp. And so, I don't know, that's part of what we're trying to do here, but that's a separate discussion. And so um, just hearing <laughs> no, your personal story is, I think, extremely uh, valuable to other people that will be going forward and doing this. And it sounds like you're very happy with the way things turned out and that the company, and I've seen the company because I, I work in the water sectors myself. Oh, yes, so, I so, yeah, so I've seen, the, I've seen traction with the company in, in, in other spheres as well. So that's really exciting. Um, they are doing an amazing job. They are such a good team and they are really awesome. I feel so lucky. And, and so if we think about sort of the lessons you learned at Clean Membranes and then, you know, eight or 10 years later, the lessons you learned with Zwitterco, I mean, can you talk about some of those, those learnings and, and, and different insights that you developed? Hmm. So few things. One thing I learned is the importance of a really, really strong team. You need really people who work well together, respect each other and fill each other's gaps. And I got to work with um, some excellent uh, people at Clean Membranes that ta taught me so much. Uh, I have also had to deal with some challenging personalities. I think that sort of describes a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of jobs. But at the same time, when you're in a startup, one person can really change the environment a lot. So it is really important to be careful with a team. And I think Zwitterco team, at least all of the ones I have seen and all of the ones I have seen work together, uh, they are a really, really strong team. So that is one thing. Um, I wouldn't jump in with anyone. <laughs> How about that? Uh, another thing was the importance of intellectual property, which is something academics are really not trained on. Uh, I ended up being uh, involved in the um, prosecution of the intellectual pro property um, at, at uh, clean membranes and interacting with lots of IP lawyers. And I learned a lot from that. And as a result, when I was, before there was even the prospect of a startup, uh, when I was pulling together the, uh, patent application for the first technology at Tufts, I was extremely careful and I got to work with really good IP lawyers that Tufts had hired. So um, that was definitely a learning experience that I had no explicit training in except, um, except at clean membranes through interactions. So that was another one. Um, I really learned sometimes the value promise the value proposition is not what I think it is. <laughs> so 
Um, and I think that is quite common. And this was the case with the Zwitterco product too, by the way. I thought the big value proposition was at the pore size, but no, it was because it is coated and the manufacturing is easier. Uh, there are these situations where I was surprised and I'm always happy to be surprised. But that is also why you have experts who, who are the entrepreneurs who, you know, look at it, look at what is out there and what people talk about and pull it all together. Um, I learned the value of durability and testing things in the harshest environment possible to convince people that it won't break a week after they install it. What Espe else? Especially critical with membranes, I think. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, yes, long-term testing in a lab scale is what, like, you put it to, put it to run for a week, right? So, I mean, just, um, you really cannot do more of it in the lab because it occupies your equipment, which you need for other experiments. Like, you just cannot dedicate a whole thing for a whole year easily. You have all these, uh, you know, all these people sharing the equipment and there's only so much. So... But then that is the data that the industry wants. So you have to find ways of convincing them, yes, this won't break on you. Um, what else? Um, I think what I learned in clean membranes about talking with potential customers and with potential investors was the value of expressing the importance of your work to others based on criteria they care about and not necessarily what you care about. And it makes me a better proposal writer. Right. Um, it, it helps me get my research funded. So there is a lot of trends. Oh, that is one thing worth mentioning. If you have a chance to work at a startup or be involved in a startup, no matter what your future career path in your mind is, it will give you a very, very fast training it is gonna be a steep learning curve, but you will learn things that you wouldn't otherwise. And I actually think that is the biggest thing I took out of clean membranes. I learned so much so fast. And these are the things I wouldn't have learned if I stayed in academia. So that is really, really important to remember. Um, and I think it strengthened my faculty application too. No, that's so great. if there are you know doctoral students and postdocs out there considering if this is worth doing, even though that is not really their long-term career goal, I would say um, you would get a lot out of it, even if that is not your long-term goal. It wasn't for me. In fact, uh, working at a startup really convinced me what I value in an academic career and why I want to be an academic in, in to, to a degree of clarity I didn't have before. So it was important to try and see and learn from, even if you end up going a different direction. That's awesome. Um, I, I too advise people to work at startups. You, you get a lot of responsibility, you learn very quickly, you fail quickly. And I also like <laughs> how you said, you know, write the proposal or pitch to the company about what they want to hear and not necessarily what you want. I feel like that's sales advice for academics. And it's something that, you know, quite a lot of researchers could probably benefit from. Um, is there it, it kind of a, this might be the same answer, but I'd just like to ask it anyway, is there anything that you would tell, let's say the, the version of yourself that's wrapping up their PhD uh, thesis is something that you would tell that person to do differently or, or a piece of, you know, advice or encouragement, whatever. 
Yeah, when I looked to, towards that time, as I said, it was this time of deep confusion more than anything else. Um, and I wasn't sure if it was worth it or not. I'm not going to lie. Like, this was totally out of my comfort zone. Um, and I didn't think it would work out many, many times. And when it did work out, I wasn't sure if I knew what I was doing. In the end, I think um, I would tell myself, you will learn a lot from it, even if it is not the end game, and that is okay. It will be a crazy adventure, and that's fine. That's awesome. And, and, and any final words of wisdom to uh, the grad students and young entrepreneurs out there, uh, other than join startups and you'll learn a ton. And da, da, da. I mean, everything that you've said is, so far is just so great. But anything else you want to impart? Make sure you have a really, really good team. You good will team. be working so closely with them and you will be relying so heavily on them. It is not a lot of people in a startup. So make sure you have a really strong team that works well together and respects each other. Very exciting. And, and do you have anything in the works on that, that just worth mentioning? You don't have to. I mean, I'm sure some mm, Nothing else right now, because honestly, a lot of what we generate, because Witterco has been licensing, is what I hear. Right. Um, we have a new projects with Bart Usta at the Massachusetts General Hospital on decreasing, on, on new, um, a new technology for uh, silicone microfluidic devices and biomicrofluidics in, in, on, on very easily functionali functionalizing their surfaces so they do not absorb proteins um, that would deviate the results you would get from the equipment. And I think that will be exciting. That might be the next thing we chase after, depending on how things shake out, because I think that is the next thing that will have a lot of potential for commercialization. We have a few other projects going on that are in the membrane field. That is really our core uh, competency. Um, uh, but, but the intellectual property stuff gets hairier. And I'm working on a few industrial collaborations. We'll see how they work out too. Okay. Well, well any, yeah. but you, any entrepreneurs in the audience, you know, you can reach out to Aisha. <laughs> where, where can people find you? Where, where would you like to be contacted, if at all? Um, if they find me on the Tufts University Chemical and Biological Engineering Department's website, or if they Google my name, you won't find another Aisha that they can <laughs> probably, especially, yeah, if you Google my name, you'll find me. And email is the best way to connect, contact me. Okay. Just, all right. Great. Yeah. We'll include it. Aisha. Thank you very much. This has been excellent. Tons of pieces of wisdom and uh, I really appreciate it. I think you've done so much exciting work already and I feel like you have decades and decades more to go. So it's it's really fantastic to hear the origin story and how everything involved and what you learned and, and what you'll do going forward. And uh, it's really been valuable for me. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, listeners. Visit bountiful.work, W-O-R-K for more. And uh, enjoy. Thanks for listening. But now we need your help. We're building a community of scientists, students, entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and investors to commercialize meaningful technology and research. Join us at Bountiful.Work today to find opportunities and realize your power to save the world.